Now, would you please turn to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, starting in verse, well, our, our text is verses 16 through 21, but I will back us up a little bit and have us read verses 12 through 21. This is the word of the Lord. Listen reverently to it as I read it to you. Starting in verse 12 of Romans 10. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call upon him. For whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. How then shall they call upon him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him Whom they have not heard. And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring glad tidings of good things. However, they did not heed the glad tidings. They is Israel, by the way. Uh, Jews, unbelieving Jews. However, they did not heed the glad tidings. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So, faith comes from hearing. And hearing by the word of Christ. But I say, surely they have never heard, have they? Indeed they have. Their voice has gone out into all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. But I say, surely Israel did not know, did they? At the first, Moses says, I will make you jealous by that which is not a nation. By a nation without understanding, I will anger you, meaning Israel. And Isaiah is very bold and says, I was found by those who sought me not. I became manifest to those who did not ask for me. But as for Israel, he says, All the day long I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. Amen. Pray with me. O Lord, we desire to honor you in our response to your word. Would you please help us to uh, respond appropriately to the exhortations and implications of what we hear this morning? And would you please grant me, uh, your uh, servant, um, the grace that I need, Lord. And would you please, Lord Jesus, be our preacher. First and foremost, it would be you and not me. 
We ask this in your name. Amen. Kids, I want you to think of a scenario, uh, uh, a situation here, and I'm not trying to scare you with this, okay? This is almost certainly not going to happen to you in your house. But I want you to at least imagine um, that there is a house with a bunch of people in it, uh, and it's nighttime. And that house, during the middle of the night, catches fire because of some electrical problems or something like that, the stove left on or something, and the house catches fire. And so it's night, it's dark, and everybody is asleep upstairs, uh, but the house catches fire. Now, everybody needs to get out of the house, right? They need to get out of the house because the house is, is going to burn down, um, and uh, if they don't get out, it'll burn down with them in it. So they need to get out. But what needs to happen before they get out of that house? They need to wake up, don't they? They need to wake up so they can realize what's going on, smell the smoke, and get go down the, uh, uh, the uh, fire escape. We're going to assume there's a fire escape. Right? They need to wake up to avoid the danger. Well, Unbelievers, people that don't know Jesus, before they come to know Jesus, they are in somewhat of a similar situation to sleeping people in a burning house. Because, you see, unbelievers are in danger. They're in danger of burning up in hell, actually. But they don't know enough to escape from the flames to flee from the danger until they wake up spiritually. You see, unbelievers, and this was true of you and me before we were uh, came to believe in Jesus, are spiritually, uh, really more than just spiritually asleep, they're spiritually dead. And they need to be awakened, they need to be made alive, Um, by God, the Holy Spirit, before they can flee from the danger by fleeing to Jesus. That's true of all unbelievers. That was true of you. That was true of me uh, before we became Christians. Or if you're not a Christian, that's still true of you. This passage speaks of the need. It implies it, actually. Uh, It doesn't speak it directly, but it's clearly implied. Of the need for God to intervene and change the heart of a person who is not trusting in Jesus. And so if you don't know whether or not you're trusting in Jesus, children, if you're not sure if you're trusting in Jesus, you particularly need to listen to this sermon. But even if you are trusting in Jesus, you also need to listen to this sermon because it'll help you to know how to talk to unbelievers that you encounter as you grow up, uh, and you and I are all required to talk to unbelievers about Jesus. And we need to know what their situation is, their heart is, so we know how to, how to approach them. In this chapter, chapter 10 of Romans, Paul has been dealing with the failure of a large majority of the Jewish population in Paul's day, and in previous days, actually, not just Paul's day, but prior to that point in time, he's been dealing with the failure of Jews down through the centuries, many, to embrace um, 
<coughs> the Messiah. To trust in the Messiah, who by Paul's day was known to be Jesus of Nazareth. He was the Messiah. Christ means Messiah in Greek. It's just the Greek translation of um, the word uh, anointed one, which uh, is Messiah or Mashiach in the uh, Hebrew, in the Old Testament. And Paul is talking about, he has been actually for a couple chapters now, all the way further back than chapter 10, dealing with this problem of unbelieving Jews who were the people through whom the message of the Messiah's coming was given. It was given to them, first and foremost. And Paul indicts them, these unbelieving Jews, for being unwilling, especially in his day, for being unwilling uh, uh, or for being, excuse me, being willfully ignorant. So it's a willful, deliberate thing uh, of God's perfect righteousness and of, of their need, their desperate need of that righteousness being applied to them. And Paul condemns them through his writings to the Romans, he condemns unbelieving Jews for seeking to establish a righteousness of their own, which is based on their own attempts to keep God's law. Now, in this last section of chapter 10, the apostle points to the ultimate reason for this unbelief among unbelieving Israel. And as I've already alluded to with the children, it has to do with the condition of their hearts. Two points in this sermon as follows. First, we learn in this passage that unbelievers won't believe in Christ unless they first hear the good news about Christ. But secondly, this passage teaches us that unbelievers won't believe in Christ unless they first receive a new heart from Christ. First, unbelievers won't believe in Christ and therefore experience salvation from the penalty of their sins. They won't do so unless they first hear the good news about him. We see this in verses 16 through the first part of verse 18 in our text. So we read, however, they did not all, they referring to the, the, the Jewish people um, as a whole, however, they did not all heed the glad tidings. In other words, they heard the glad tri- tidings, but they did not all heed the glad tidings. Because <coughs> those glad, glad tidings had been spoken for centuries through the prophets by way of messianic prophecy, and then now in Paul's day through Jesus and the apostles and others as well, but principally through Jesus and the apostles. However, they did not all heed the glad tidings, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? In other words, we've given a report, we've reported on the good news, but not everybody's believed in it. And that was true back in Isaiah's day. And then he says in verse 17, So... Faith, belief, comes from hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. But I say, surely they have never heard, have they? Indeed, they have. And then Paul goes on to quote, uh, to prove his point. 
from Psalm 19. Faith, we learn, comes from hearing. Now, hearing in verse 18, it's clear there in verse 18 when he says, uh, they have never heard, have they? And then he says, indeed, they have heard. So there, hearing, that the hearing that Paul is referring to, he's not... <coughs> And also in verse 17, the hearing that he's referring to is not heeding or obeying something that has been, some instruction that has been given. He's not talking about, because oftentimes in the Bible, to hear the word of the Lord means to obey the word of the Lord, right? But that's not what's going on here in verses 17 and 18. The hearing there is rather hearing uh, with auditory reception. In other words, the, the noise of someone's voice speaking certain words hits the uh, auditory nerves and registers on the brain. Hearing with one's ears is what's being referred to in verses 17 and 18. Um, And what is it uh, that unbelievers must hear with their ears? We have the answer there in verse 17. So faith, belief, comes from hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. They must hear Christ and his words about himself. Now you'll recall last time in the previous section here that I uh, read to you, uh, verses 12 through 15, uh, when we looked at that passage, you recall that uh, that passage teaches that the voice of Christ himself, Jesus himself, the great prophet of the church, is heard in the preaching of his written word when it's expounded by someone (coughs) whom he has sent out, uh, verse 15, through the church, through the church as a one of his uh, under-shepherds and one of his preachers. And Jesus himself speaks through the uh, lawfully ordained man of God. And so Christ does speak through preaching. And we are told in this passage, verse 17, the implication of it is that unless, that unbelievers must be exposed either directly or indirectly to the act of preaching. If it's indirect, it's through someone who has been in direct contact with the preaching of the word and then shares that uh, in uh, their daily experience with somebody else outside of a, co- a church context. But either directly or indirectly, the unbeliever has to be exposed to what uh, to the phenomenon of preaching. Well, in order to believe. Well, why won't unbelievers believe unless they first hear the gospel message? Well, it's kind of obvious, right? The short answer, they must be informed about um, what they need to believe in. They need to know. They need to know facts. They need to hear propositional truth. You see, being rescued from the penalty of our sins and reconciled to God is a matter of knowing and truly believing certain propositional truths. It's not about inviting Jesus into your heart. That's that's unbiblical language applied to 
coming to faith. No, it's about believing certain truths about who God is and what he is like, about who Jesus is and what he is like, about what Jesus did for us uh, in his life, death, resurrection, and ascension, and and what the consequences of Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and ascension as our substitute, what the consequences of that, uh, what Jesus did for us, are for us. We need to hear and then believe truths about those various things that I just mentioned. So, why? Why is reconciliation with God a matter of knowing and believing certain propositional truths? Well, the answer is because that's the way God decided it was going to be. He decided it. He's God. That's kind of the end of the conversation. God willed that souls should be saved from the hell that we deserve by believing certain things about him and particularly about Jesus and what he did for sinners who believe in him. And in order for human beings such as ourselves to know and believe certain propositional truths that we need to believe, we first need to apprehend them with our minds. And in order to apprehend them with our minds, we first need to apprehend them with our auditory senses. We need to hear. Paul probably mentions hearing in verse 17 rather than reading for a couple reasons. Notice he he didn't say, so faith comes from reading. He said faith comes from hearing. Um, First of all, he probably says hearing there and the Holy Spirit through him because very few people, especially in Paul's day, were able to read the scriptures with their own eyes. There were very, very few copies of the scriptures. They were, it took laborious uh, and extended amounts of time, many, many hundreds of hours to copy a scroll. Um, and so very, very few, uh, there were very few, very few copies of those, and they were usually possessed by the uh, synagogue officials uh, uh, and them alone. That's one reason, but there's another reason, and I've already alluded to it, uh, that Paul uh, probably mentions hearing rather than reading of the scriptures to be uh, saved. And that is because preaching, as we learned uh, in the last passage, is the principal means that Christ uses to bring sinners to himself. Men are rarely, if ever, saved apart from the influence of preaching either through preaching itself, being exposed to the act of preaching like here uh, directly, or through those who have sat under faithful preaching of the word. What are the implications of this need to hear for unbelievers in order to be saved? What's the implications of that? Well, it's pretty obvious. Uh, Unbelievers need to hear facts, truths, good uh, good news truths about Jesus and about God's willingness to be gracious and forgive through Jesus for those who trust in Jesus. And Jesus has given each one of us, not just 
me, not just the elders, but he has given each one of us the responsibility and privilege of being channels through which he intends to reach a lost and dying world, or at least a, a sizable element in that world, namely the elect. Now, yes, uh, my function is, is, is somewhat unique because, uh, because I am the preacher uh, in this congregation, but uh, that doesn't mean that you are not also responsible in your spheres of influence to look for opportunities to talk to people about Christ. Because your sitting here um, uh, has effects when you talk to people out there. So says this text. And you and I need to talk to people about our Savior and about... Uh, our sin and their sin, and uh, God's uh, holiness and his justice, and uh, the fact that all sins must be punished one way or the other, and that they're going to be punished if they don't flee to Jesus who took the punishment of those who would flee to him in faith. And so we need to be about our master's business of sharing, looking for opportunities, and taking opportunities to share our faith as the Lord providentially leads people into our lives and into our sphere of influences, I like to say. And if you want to review how to develop a sort of a personal strategy for doing that, uh, there are copies of uh, uh, the Personal Evangelism Strategy Worksheet out there as you exit the church on your left. I encourage you to uh, do that if you've never done that, or redo that if it's been a long time uh, since you have considered uh, a bit of a plan. Um, my wife loves plans, and uh, she's good at, at, at that, and, and I envy that. I'm not so good. Uh, but plans are helpful to getting things done and having a strategy for sharing faith with people that you interact with is a good thing. I encourage you to do that. Well, secondly, not only do unbelievers, won't unbelievers believe in Christ unless they first hear the good news about him, unbelievers won't believe in Christ <coughs> excuse me unless they first receive a new heart from Christ. Verses 18 through 21 make this point. Um, Paul is talking about Israel. He's been talking about Israel, unbelieving Israel, and their their problem. Uh, and answering the question, why? Why are so many Jews rejecting the Messiah, who was promised uh, through the uh, uh, to their forefathers through the prophets of old? <clears throat> The nation of Israel, we are told by Paul, had indeed had the good news uh, preached to them. They had heard about the Messiah. Uh, in the Old Testament age, they had heard about him. They had heard that God had provided a way. Uh, and particularly the people of Paul's day had heard that God had provided a way for sinners to be forgiven by God and reconciled to him. Uh, that it was going to be through the sacrifice of a perfect lamb on their behalf, a perfect sacrifice who would indeed pay off the debt to divine justice that uh, people uh, have incurred by their sins. They had heard that the sacrifice was going to be provided by God himself. And they had also heard that that provision was going to be a person who was going to be both God and man. The Old Testament made that clear if you read it and heard, or listened to it in the case of uh, most Old Testament people uh, uh, when, the, uh, when the scribes would uh, teach. And the people in Jesus, uh, uh, Paul's day had not only heard all those things, 
they had heard, thank you, they had heard uh, the name of this Messiah, and that is Jesus of Nazareth. And they had heard that this good news, uh, uh, they had heard it uh, through Jesus himself and through his apostles but again, also through the Old Testament prophets, speaking prior to Paul's day. But in spite of having heard with their ears, either the prophets or Jesus or the apostles, sharing the good news with them, the majority of Jews in Paul's day, and indeed prior to Paul's day, refused to respond positively to that good news. This is what verse 15 through 18 uh, is teaching. Let me read it again. How shall they uh, preach unless they are sent? The preacher there. Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring glad tidings of good news. And that was written in the Old Testament age about Old Testament good news pointing to Christ from the prophets. And then he goes on. However, they, the Old Testament uh, people of God, did not all... Uh, heed the glad tidings. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report, implying that many had not. So faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. But I say, surely they have never heard. Have they? And then he, uh, rhetorical question with a, uh, uh, with implied answer, no. And he says, indeed they have heard. And then he points uh, to the uh, that that is indeed the fact by quoting from the Old Testament. Their voice has gone out into all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. I think that being there the voice of the prophets regarding the Messiah. But I say, again, surely Israel did not know, did they? And then the implied answer is, yes, they did know. And he quotes uh, Moses from the Mosaic uh, scriptures but uh, that Moses wrote. At the first, Moses says, I will make you, meaning you, uh, you Israel, many in Israel, I will make you jealous by that which is not a nation, referring to the Gentiles. By a nation without understanding, I will anger you, you Jews, many of you. And then he says, and Isaiah is very bold and says, I was found by those who sought me not. Again, Gentiles. I became manifest to those, God speaking here, to those who did not ask for me. Again, Gentiles. This is a rebuke, you see, to unbelieving Israel who had the scriptures, who had the prophets, who had the prophecies. And especially the unbelieving Jews in Paul's day post-resurrection, uh, public ministry, death, resurrection, and ascension of Christ. Jesus. They had been offered complete forgiveness, perpetual acceptance, and infinite love from God as a free gift. And they said, no. I don't want him inexcusable, not to mention unbelievably foolish. Is that you today? Is there anyone here who is maybe pretending to be a Christian because you're a member of this church or because you regularly attend? But you know in your heart of hearts, children, I want you to listen to this. 
Because this is a danger that you have, as well as ourselves, that you're pretending to be a Christian when in fact you're not. You're saying, no, I don't, I don't need Jesus as my Savior and my Lord. I, I really don't. I'll go to church, I'll be, I'll be a good kid, or I'll be a, I'll be a good husband or a good wife. I'll, uh, I'll be a good upstanding member of my, my community, but I'm not going to give myself to Jesus. You're an absolute fool if you're here and that applies to you. You're signing your own eternal death warrant if you don't flee to Jesus as Savior and Lord as your only hope of being escaping the flames of hell, the fire that's burning around you. You need Christ. He is the only hope of sinners, and we're all sinners. And he's the only one who can save you from your sins. Flee to him now in faith if you have not done that. Don't be like unbelieving Israel. Not only had they heard the good news that Paul spoke of um, through the prophets and through Jesus and the apostles in Paul's day, but the Jews who had, believed, who had not believed down through the centuries had also uh, knew from the writings of Moses that were written 1,400 years before Jesus was born. Uh, plus, they, they knew from the writings of Moses that God was going to one day throw open the gates of heaven. In fact, Solomon's prayer that, we just, uh, that I read from a little while ago made that very point about the foreigners were being extended forgiveness from God if they would... Look to the temple. Look to Christ. And God, the Old Testament saint could have and should have, or a person, covenant member, should have known that God was intending to bring in these unbelievers uh, of, of the nations around Israel. <clears throat> and that he would do that in response to Israel's stubborn refusal. To embrace God's way of salvation by trusting in the Messiah that he promised to send. And this is what verses 19 and 20. Again, those verses uh, that I read there, I won't reread them, but are from uh, the writings of Moses. And this is something, by the way, that had happened now in Paul's day. We're back to Paul's day as Paul's writing. This is something, in other words, the bringing in, the gathering in of Gentiles into the church... uh, in response to the uh, hardness of Israel's heart, a large proportion, at least, portion of the population in Israel in Paul's day. This is something that had happened ever since the day that Cornelius and his household were converted under Peter's preaching, which was a long time before this was written, uh, uh, decades before this was written. The Gentiles were flooding in, and more and more of the church was consisting of Gentiles. And this, the coming of to faith in Jesus by uh, large numbers of Gentiles, this was to be a signal to the Jews of the first century who were tempted to reject Jesus as their Messiah. 
that in fact Jesus was God's Messiah. He was the only way, the only hope of sinners, and that they needed to repent of their works religion and believe in Jesus too. And how did the majority of them respond to the news that the Gentiles were coming to trust in Jesus of Nazareth as the Messiah and Savior of sinners? All too many of them were responding in this, to that news of Gentiles being objects of God's grace and mercy and forgiveness the same way they did when they heard the gospel itself preached. And that was, and no, 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 not for me. In fact, they scoffed at the good news about Jesus of Nazareth, who proved that he was the Messiah by his actions and by his words. And they scoffed at him, they scoffed at his righteousness, and they continued to cling tenaciously to what they perceived to be their own righteous law-keeping. It wasn't, but they perceived it that way. Why? Why do they, why do they reject Christ, why did they reject the signal that was being given by God, namely in the, uh, in the inclusion of the Gentiles into the covenant community? Why were they doing this? <clears throat> why had they failed to embrace God's way of salvation? Because we read in verse 21, But as for Israel, he says, quoting from the Old Testament, from Isaiah, All the day long I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. I won't take time, but there are other passages in the Old Testament. Exodus 32 verses 10 through, uh, 7 through 10. Zechariah chapter 7 verses 8 through 12 that make this exact same point that Israel was hard hearted. A great number of them back in the days of the prophets. And that continued on into Paul's day. Hard hearted. And we read of this in the New Testament too. This passage I will read. Acts chapter uh, 7 verse 51. Where we read there uh, about uh, Israel. Uh, This is the culmination of Stephen's sermon. Sermon just before they stone him to death. And he says to uh, to his audience. He says, you men who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, are always resisting the Holy Spirit. You are doing just as your fathers did. How's that for an indictment? Resisting because of a hard, uncircumcised heart. That was true of the Jews, the unbelieving Jews, in Paul's day and prior to Paul's day, throughout the Old Testament age even. And it is true today of all unbelievers who resist coming to Christ. Unbelievers will only believe in Christ if they, savingly, if they receive if they get rid of that stubborn, uncircumcised, obstinate heart and see it replaced by a heart of flesh. It's the only way somebody wants Jesus. They must be born again. In Deuteronomy 5, there, 
Moses, uh, and I'm turning to that passage now, Moses uh, had been recounting God's giving of the law prior to uh, the, uh, the, their entrance into the land, which is when Deuteronomy was written, back when the, uh, before their 40 years of wandering in the wilderness at Sinai. And Moses is recounting there um, uh, God's giving of that law at Sinai uh, in a written form to Israel. And he has just reminded them in uh, earlier in Deuteronomy chapter 5 uh, of the request that their forefathers had made that God no longer speak to them directly as he had at the mountain because it scared them too much. And this is what Moses says after uh, he's explained to them, uh, reminded them of that request that had been made. And he says in verse 28 and 29, And the Lord heard the voice of your words, uh, you through your forefathers, and the, Lo- the Lord heard the voice of your words when you spoke to me, me being Moses. And the Lord said to me, I have heard the voice of the words of this people which they have spoken to you. They have done well in all that they have spoken. Meaning the request was a good one. And then God says this, Oh, that they had such a heart in them that they would fear me and keep all my commandments always that it may be well with them and with their sons forever. The Lord is um, is grieving over the fact that Israel didn't have this heart. And they needed, in Moses' day, in Paul's day, and still today, they need a new heart. If they're ever going to fear God, keep his commandments, and experience the blessing. And by the way, the foremost commandment is flee to Jesus in faith. The first and foremost commandment. You love God by fleeing to his mediator. And nobody will do that. No matter how how much worldly wisdom they have, no matter how um, intelligent they are, no matter how educated, no matter how, um, how uh, what's the word, uh, um, emotive they are, None of that is going to get the job done in in saving the united person to Christ by faith. Only God can give a new heart. And Ezekiel makes this point eloquently in Ezekiel 36. You know the passage, I'm sure. Uh, Ezekiel 36, uh, we read this. Hold on, I have to get there. Uh, Verses 22 to 28. Therefore, say to the house of Israel... Thus says the Lord God, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you went. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations which you have profaned in their midst. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when I prove myself holy among you in their sight." For I will take you from the nations, gather you from all the lands, and bring you into your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. 
Therefore, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And he goes on. Notice, God is the one who does it. God is the one who changes heart. And that, that imagery of gathering the, uh, uh, the, uh, the Jews from the nations is a picture of the gathering, ingathering of God's elect uh, and his saving of his elect. But God has to do it, you see. So, in conclusion, what, how does, most of us here are Christians, perhaps all of us. What, what do we do with this? A few things. In closing, first of all, when we share our faith, which we must do, we must remember that the people to whom we are talking are utterly incapable of believing in Jesus as Savior and Lord unless God himself gives them a new heart. Now, he requires us to talk. They need to hear, remember? They need to hear. And he requires us to talk, but we need to understand that it's like talking to a rock unless God works. And so we need to pray that God would work as we're talking even and before for people that we may encounter or uh, or are planning to encounter, non-Christian friends and family members and so on. We need to pray that God would in fact give them that new heart after we explain the facts of the gospel to them. And then we need to regularly remind ourselves lest we get puffed up Non-Christians can smell pride a mile away. We need to remind ourselves the only reason we ourselves are trusting in this Savior that we are talking to them about is on account of God's grace shown to us. He is the one who gave us a new heart, who enabled us to believe in Christ, who sent Christ to begin with to purchase our pardon. And we need to be humble we need to not be puffed up uh, when we talk to people about their need of Christ. But God has to do the, the work. God has to make it effectual. And praise the Lord, he does oftentimes save those um, who hear the gospel message. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this reminder of sovereign... Um, election and regeneration that you alone can give that new heart and that spirit um, to and replace hearts of stone with hearts of flesh. You alone can do that. And we thank you that you did it in the case of ourselves, those of us who are Christians. And we pray, Lord, that you would do a gracious, saving work in the hearts of many people around us that we have interaction with. Friends who don't know Christ, colleagues who don't know Christ, neighbors who don't know Christ, family members who don't know Christ. Would you please have mercy on those that we that you have brought to our minds that we are thinking about right now? Would you please have mercy? Save, please. And would you please give us the grace and the courage to do our part in talking about the Savior with these individuals. Please lay people on our hearts that we uh, are in a good position to talk to and give us the courage 
and the wisdom to do just that, to point them to the only Savior of sinners. And would you please save them as we do that. And save anyone here today, Lord, who is, uh, doesn't know you uh, truly, Lord Jesus, as their only hope. Give them a heart to know you. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Receive now God's blessing, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be and abide with you all, both now and forevermore. Amen.